All right, KISS Army, welcome to the KISS FAQ Podcast. Thank you for letting us into your head. I hope we don't do any damage. This is a KISS-related podcast by the board for the board. We hope you enjoy. We're going to record this for the KISS FAQ Podcast, Episode 9. So uh, we're thrilled to ha- we're fated to have you on this show, um, and in, a, in a, it's a very timely one, I guess. So Alex is going to take the lead on this today, uh, but I just wanted to thank you myself. Well, it's a pleasure. I'm uh, I'm honored to be uh, to be chatting with you guys. So let's let's uh, let's have some fun. Well, everyone out there listening to a Kiss related uh, FAQ podcast must be aware of who John Reagan was and is. <laughs> You, I'm still here, yeah, you're you're still here. <laughs> so uh, so on that positive light note, uh, you know, uh, John was involved with Ace going back, I guess, to 1980. Wouldn't it be with uh, Joe Renda? Uh, That's absolutely right. Yeah, that crazy Joe Renda and the Eugene uh, fiasco. <laughs> and I guess I, that was up at Northlake, wasn't it? It was Northlake, uh, Northlake Studios in White Plains, and. Uh, to this day, Joe, Renda, and I speak every week without fail. He's he's living a very nice, comfortable life golfing down in Florida, and I'm still toiling away over a hot bass guitar. But uh, Joe's one of my dearest friends, and that's how I met I met Ace through Joe Renda. So that's 1980, and then 81, 82. You're still with Frampton, um, and I guess 84, 83, 84. You hooked up with Ace in Frelly's Comet, and you were by his side through numerous lineup changes until after Trouble Walking came out. Um, and did you tour with him for that album? Absolutely, yes. The album at that point uh, was, uh, we brought Richie Scarlet back in the fold, and then we had Sandy Slavin come in on drums from Riot, and we toured the, we toured the Trouble Walking record up until, I think, late summer, fall of 1990, and then... Uh, and that was when we kind of parted company, myself and the, and the band. So John, you know, was with Ace the whole of his first solo career. Um, afterwards, you've stayed active in the music business. I believe you continued to tour with Frampton. Um, you also recorded some tracks for the Return of the Comet tribute album. Um, that was 1997, I think. And yeah. we'll we'll get it later on in the uh, in this interview to the four by fate stuff with you re- reuniting with Todd Howarth. Uh But let's start at the beginning, really, of your time with Ace, um, and, and just talk about meeting him through Joe Renda. You know, how did that come about? Well, Joe owned a studio, uh, as we mentioned, North Lake Sound in White Plains, New York, and uh, Ace had recorded tracks for his soul album when he was with Kiss. Uh, you know, New York Groove and all that stuff. And that's how Ace ended up uh, meeting Joe. So a lot of those, a lot of the recording for that Ace Frehley solo album when they uh, all four released theirs was done at Northlake. So they became uh, very, very good friends. And um, I, was, I had started touring with Frampton in 1979. And uh, around that time, Joe opened the studio in White Plains and we would go down once a week, just a bunch of musicians, a bunch of guys. Like it, it was kind of like our weekly poker game, and we would record the silliest thing we could possibly think of because we didn't know anybody that owned the recording studio. So we we just would go in and, and have a great time. Somebody would bring food, and we'd have it was like a party atmosphere. And out of those uh, impromptu sessions, 
the, the Eugene track came out. And, uh, you know, we kept recording. Ace uh, had a lot to do with that particular track. That's the only song on that album that he was involved in. But it was it was the single. And oddly enough, even though we had no idea, we were, we were not trying to make a record. We were just goofing off. As luck would have it, uh, we got signed to a record deal by Casablanca Records and uh, the Crazy Joe and the Variable Speed Band record came out of that. And that's how I made, uh, met Ace in 1980. And then I continued to tour with Frampton until Peter took a break right around 1983. He was kind of burnt out and uh, he, he had lost his deal with A&M Records. And uh, I was down to the studio and, and Ace was there again and Ace had left Kiss. And we just started talking about what really made us want to play music, you know. It wasn't. It wasn't about thinking you were going to become a, a famous rock star or, or anything. We just played music in the in the early days because we couldn't not play music. We it was like eating and breathing. So we started having chats about it. Ace was out of Kiss. I wasn't uh, working with Peter, and he invited me over to his studio in Connecticut. And he said, ah, "I'm going to have Anton Fick come up." And we just started going to Ace's house and playing Zeppelin and Hendrix and all the stuff that made us get really excited about being in a rock band when we were very young. So that's how it all began. So you'd work, didn't you work with Anton Fig with, uh, with Peter Frampton? Anton had cut a couple tracks with us over the years. Uh, he wasn't in the band. When I joined Frampton's band, uh, it was the late, great Bobby Mayo on keyboards, uh, who was with Peter during the live album. And uh, the most exciting part about joining Frampton's band for me was that Jamie Oldacre was on drums from Eric Clapton's band. And uh, I was such a big fan of Jamie's playing from, the, you know, 461 Ocean Boulevard and, and all that Clapton stuff. So as a bass player, it was really, really exciting to, to work with Jamie for me. You also had another uh, on those early Frampton albums that you did with him, 79 and 80, I think, Arthur... And Arthur yeah, Arthur Stead and Rob Sabino didn't he play on one of those as well? Rob did some work with Peter, uh, I think on the Premonition record when he Peter started recording back again for Atlantic. But you know we're all kind of living in the same area, and the business is not anywhere near as large as one might think. So you end up, you know, you find musicians that you really enjoy playing with, and more importantly, that you enjoy hanging out with. And then you, you all continue to work on whatever is going on. Uh, so we were lucky back then. That there was Sabino's is a master of the keyboards. And I met Arthur. Uh, he came and he auditioned for Frampton's band when Bobby Mayo left. So uh, that's how I met Arthur Stead. And then we went on to put the first version of Fraley's Comet together around 83, 84 uh, with Richie. Scarlett and Arthur and Anton, Ace and myself. That was the original incarnation of Fraley's Comet. And there's a there's a great YouTube video, the full concept from the Pro Gig at SIR uh, Studios. Do you have any recollections of that show from November of '84? I have a lot of recollections, but I'm just finding out from you now that there's a video of that. I didn't know that. Uh, That's I'll great. The, I'll send you the link after the show. Fantastic! Yeah, that was that was a fun night. Yeah, we. Uh, we were really excited about it. We'd worked really hard putting music together, and uh, we did a showcase for labels. And we got a deal out of that and uh, with a company from England 
bronze. We were all excited about it and we're moving forward. And then the company folded. And that's really what put a damper on everything. And uh, we kind of went our separate ways for a couple of years, uh, around 85, because it was pretty disheartening. I know Ace really worked hard. We all did. And uh, when that label uh, went under, it kind of took the wind out of our sails for a year or two. Going back to SIR, I mean, I picked up a, a actually a reel-to-reel a couple of years ago uh, that had the soundboard for most of that show. Uh, and it's absolutely outstanding the power that Arthur's keyboards added to the sh- added to the show and to the material you guys were doing. How did you guys come up with um, a list of the Kiss songs that you guys are going to integrate into that set when it was going to be a Frelly's Comet debut show? Well, I, I think uh, from my recollection, we just basically let Ace pick that. You know, it, 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 it was songs that obviously he sang or, or had written. Uh, and it was his call on that, and we were all happy to play them. We loved playing that stuff. It was a lot of fun. How about some of the new material that you debuted that night? I mean, you played, and some of these song titles may be wrong because you know how things go in demo circles. The fans give names to the stuff, but audio video, give it to me anyway, dolls, back into my arms again. I mean, that's some really cool material. Um, Uh, Thanks. You know, yeah, it was fun stuff. you know, Arthur came in with a couple tracks. Uh, Ace had some songs. We just, we all just jammed. It, it, it was a lot more organic than you would think. There wasn't a lot of preconceived. You know, we have to do this. We have to do this. Uh, whoever would present a song, we just listen to it. We work it up. If we felt that it uh, it withstood everybody's uh, critique, then we just went with it. And. Uh, they, they were interesting songs back then because you, you were you're right they, they were kind of keyboard heavy on a lot of uh, a lot of it uh, Arthur brought a, a whole other dimension to it and um, it, we just had a blast that that was the whole idea we had you know we'd all come out of projects that maybe kind of lost the fun aspect of it so when we put Fraley's comment together it was that's what it was all about and really that's what it, it all should be about no matter what you're telling it's got to be fun and I think you can definitely get that feel of fun, especially uh, when you hear the rendition of Dolls Live. Yeah, yeah, that that was that was a quirky song. Obviously, Ace came up with that one. Uh, you guys are giving me a lot more credit with my alleged memory than, than you should. <laughs> I'm trying to think back now. Well, that, that's going way back. So, but it, it, it was uh, that was a vivid memory. That night was a culmination of a lot of work. And I just remember feeling great doing it and being very proud of what we had accomplished. Looking through the copyrights, though, Arthur gets a lot of credits for some of these uh, early songs. Sure. I mean, Animal, Animal, that was him and you, wasn't it? And I Will Survive. Yeah, oh, I forgot about that one. Yeah, that one's not been around a whole... I mean, that's one of the more obscure early ones, but, you know, for, I guess, a keyboard player, he, he kind of had a a pretty big role in those early songs, which is a little bit, you know, not as well known out there. Yeah, no, he, he had a lot to do with it. And, and a lot of people didn't know, we didn't utilize it in that uh, version of the band because we had Richie. But uh, Arthur was also a very good guitar player, and that's the reason he ended up in Trampton's band, because uh, he was replacing Bobby Mayo, who was also a keyboard and guitar player and singer, so... Arthur was one of those triple threat guys. He could do everything. What about Richie? At what point did he come into the band um, at the beginning? Was he there when you joined, or were you there before him? No, the 
band started from, as I said, that conversation at Northlake with Ace about just let's get together with Anton. And we just got together as a three-piece. I mean, we're doing, you know, Hendrix and just all, all of the great music that, that we love, Cream. And, you know, a lot of those bands were three-piece bands. So uh, from what I remember, when we decided that we were going to try to put a record together, uh, we just wanted to have another dimension, like a keyboard player. And I had just uh, finished working with Arthur with Frampton, so I brought him in. And um, I don't—I honestly do not remember how Richie got involved, but Richie's from up near where I live here, and uh, that's 60 miles north of Manhattan. And obviously, I knew Richie from days in the club, so I, I really, I wish I could remember, but that one, that one eludes me on how Richie was brought in. But uh, it was a great fit at the time, too. Uh, it worked well. So, uh, so as mentioned with some of these um, earlier song titles, are, are there any that stand out as favorites to you that never got released with the Bailey's Scarlet material, such as The Girl Can't Dance? <laughs> yeah, when I like, you know what I like? I like Rock or Be Rock. I loved that song. And uh, are you guys familiar with that one? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah I've, yeah, I've got one of Ace's demos from the period, and that that one is just so redlined on it. I mean, it's so powerful. Great track. Yeah, and, and the thing is, we were going to cut it for the first Fraley's Comet record. And I remember we couldn't find out who wrote the song because it, it came to us through that connection um, with this English label. And I was going crazy. I remember that Eddie, Eddie Kramer and I were going nuts trying to find out who wrote it because we really wanted to cut it. And we couldn't, we never found out who wrote the song. I'm sure it's available now, you know, with, with Google, it's a lot easier. But back then we were in like, you know, we had you know, kerosene operated telephones compared to today. <laughs> <laughs> and it was at the dark ages back then. It was not easy to get information back in 1980 compared to today. Yeah. Uh, one more question too. Um, that you better have with the demos. Um, the, there's a version of "Back on the Streets" with Richie Scarlet singing, but of course the songwriting credit goes to a Vinnie Vincent or Vincent Cusano, who yeah. comes from PlayStation. Really, how did that come about? Getting that and doing that track. You know, I I, I don't. Again, I, I apologize, but I don't remember who brought that in. Obviously, it wouldn't have been Ace. Uh, it's possible that Vinnie got it to Ace, though, you know, knowing that we were doing some work. Now, you you guys would know a lot better. Was that the era that Vinny was in Kiss? Was it, yeah, he, Vinny was still in Kiss until uh, mid-84 mid when the tour, his tour ended, uh, their last tour. So Yeah, so it's possible that Vinny got it to Ace and, uh, and uh, you know, uh, it might even have been Eric Carr because... Uh, I remember the day I, I uncovered the, the initial groove to Breakout. Ace, we were going through old tapes. We were looking for songs to come up with. And uh, you just started pulling out quarter-inch tapes and throwing them on the machine. And I hear this incredible riff and groove. And that's all it really was. There wasn't a whole song there. It was just that, you know, the the original riff for Breakout. I said, but we got to work on this one. And that, that remained, and we do that now with 4 by Fate. Uh, it's it's that when we were touring with Fraley's Comet was probably my favorite song to play live. I love that track, and I still do. Yeah, that that's a great song, and and that was the one that Richie really put the finishing touches on, isn't it? Lyrically. 
Yeah, absolutely. He he was the first vocalist on it. Mm -hmm. uh, going, just going back to Rock or Be Rock, I'm put my money on Bob Halligan Jr. on that one. Um, but but that one we still don't know who it actually is by. So that's one I'm going to have to dig back into. One of the other early ones that we know of is uh, The Herd Is On, and that came through uh, Tony Bongiovi down at the power station. Yeah, we uh, we spent some time down at the power station working too. I I think we cut the boys are back in town. And that would have, uh, Rob Sabino would have been involved in, in that era. I, I remember, because I remember we were working down there, and, uh, you know, Tony owned the studio, and uh, his nephew used to be around, like, he'd, he'd clean up, and then after he cleaned the studio up, he gave him some free time to record, and we all know who that is. That's John Bon Jovi, and uh, he did pretty well. <laughs> But uh, John used to work at the studio cleaning up for his uncle, so he gets a free time to come in and record his demos. It was fun days back then. So you you guys, you had a deal with Bronze, uh, which ultimately went bankrupt. But you worked with a ton of producers, didn't you? I mean, I've just mentioned Tony. Uh, but didn't you work with Chris Kimsey and yeah, Vinny? Yeah, we got Chris, yep, Chris Kimsey and um, was, was Lenny Pizzi involved? I don't. I don't know about that. I know Vinny Poncia at some point. Vinny was... Poncia. I always get those guys mixed up. Yeah, Vinny Poncia. We did some stuff with him. We did some stuff with Kimsey. Uh, we did. We even did some stuff with Andy Johns. Wow. And I don't know where that ended up. Uh -huh. but that was an interesting period too. And uh, you know, we we tried a lot of different things, and it, it, it just kind of it wasn't meant to be at that point in time. And. Uh, after it kind of fell apart, after Bronze went under, uh, Anton and I actually went on to tour a little bit with Scandal, uh, Patty Smythe, the Warrior. Uh, we did a tour of Japan with Scandal. Uh, Arthur went off, I think, and started playing with Public Image Limited. <laughs> so nice. we all just kind of went our own ways because everybody had, you know, mouths to feed and you got to keep a roof over your head. So we just started going working and then, uh, Around 85, I started working with John Waite. I toured with John Waite for a couple of years. And while I was with John, uh, I got a call one day from Eddie Kramer. And he said, hey, got, uh, we got Ace a deal with Megaforce Records. You, you, do you want to you come back and, and finish what we started? What you started? I said, absolutely. So uh, that was the beginning of going back in and, and uh, really working first record, putting the first record together, Fairly's Common Record, for Megaforce. And so when you guys got that deal with Megaforce, uh, that came, was that when the change happened between Richie Scarlett and Todd Howard? Yeah, well, what happened was we, we, we got the deal and we went right back to that core trio, which we cut the record uh, with Ace, Anton, and myself, the bulk of it. Uh, and then it was like, well, you know, we got to do this stuff live. Uh, we really could use somebody else to sing. Now, I'm going to back up a little bit when I had mentioned that I toured with John Waite in 1985. One of, that was 85 and 86. Uh, one of the tours was a co-headline tour with Cheap Trick. Mm. And uh, I'd go out because I loved that band. And I'd, I'd go out and listen. We'd, we'd switch off on who was closing the show. And I'd go out and listen to them. And I'd see this guy that was set up behind the, the PA stack with a keyboard and, you know, was really helping Robin Zander on the nights that Robin perhaps couldn't hit all the notes, and that was Todd Howarth. And 
from touring together, we just became really good friends. And I realized he was a great writer, a great guitar player, and a great singer, and a wonderful guy. And I said, like, I, I said, I'm taking this guy's name. If I ever need anybody who's a, another one of those triple threat guys, I've got him. So we're in the studio cutting the first Fairly's Comet record, and it's like, you know, who do we know that's got a great voice that could play some keyboards and also play guitar? And I said, I got the perfect guy. Now, at that time, I think Richie was off doing a solo thing, so I don't know. If, I don't remember whether we asked him or, or whether Ace might have asked him and he was busy and chose to not do it. But uh, on my suggestion, we flew Todd in and he auditioned. And uh, he ended up staying and, and uh, contributing a couple songs to the, the first Frehley's Comet record and doing a lot of uh, background singing and some guitar playing. And that's how the, that's how the original uh, Megaforce era of Frehley's Comet came to be, because Todd and I had toured together uh, a couple of years prior. So, At least for myself, I'm happy you guys got Todd, because I, I love the song Calling for You, so... Me too. That was a great one. I think that's the first one he brought in. in you know, you guys want to cut this? And we listened to him and said, absolutely want to cut it. You know, Eddie Eddie Kramer always has a great ear for uh, what's going to fit, and that one fit us perfectly, I thought. One yeah, thing, one thing you notice... Sorry, go ahead, Jay. I was just going to throw in a little anecdote there, and what's interesting about Calling for You is that that is essentially a rewrite of a song that Todd had brought to his former band from even before the Cheap Trick years, uh, 707. So all you 707 fans out there, be sure to grab the Megaforce uh, album by that band and you'll hear the origins of Calling for You. Yeah, and and talk about uh, serendipitous. uh, Here it's a song called Megaforce and we're signed to Megaforce. (laughs) Very strange. (laughs) I know. Very strange. Everybody thought it was planned and none of it was. And a lot of times, you know, I do interviews on occasion, and people would think that a lot more thought goes into what happens, but a lot of it is is just, it's kind of fate. Things kind of fall into their own place. They really do. I'll give you a fun story. I I served a two-year mission, so I didn't get the music, and I didn't know the story behind calling for you when I got home. I remember sleeping because I woke overnight, and my friend's putting on a movie, and I... I heard that riff, you know, that dun 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 dun, and I'm like, no way, what movie's got this? I know that song, but then the words were different. I was like, wait, this isn't the same song. What is going on? <laughs> he could have sued himself, and nowadays it's the thing to do. He could have won. So, how did the dynamic change bringing in, uh, you know, Todd versus Richie? Richie is an animal on guitar. He's got that Keith Richards swagger. He's got the barbed wire and razor blades, you know, vocals. And Todd has an incredible melodic sense. So how did you guys kind of decide what material you were going to kind of do for the album with Todd there? Um, Did you have him try some of the older material and see if it worked with him? Or did you just kind of start fresh? Well, we started fresh. As I said, we had most of the record recorded as a three-piece. Uh, and then Todd, when Todd came in, he brought Calling to You, he brought in Something Move, and, um, you know, th- those, exactly as you said, brought a, a, a more melodic side to it, and then he, you know, we had him put a couple keyboard parts on, and uh, do some background vocals, and it was just a natural, it was a very natural fit. 
um, he, he, he fit in immediately. Like a, it felt like a glove with him. And he, you know, he was really uh, honored to be playing guitar alongside of Ace. And uh, you know, we, we had a, a good run with that band. I, I was I was kind of sad to see that era go away. But that, you know, that was. It's, we'll get into that part of the conversation. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no doubt on that. So, um, so obviously, you guys get the first album out there. You start the tour, and and then there came kind of this rotation of drummers going on with with Anton Fig, Billy Warden, and Jimmy Oldacre. How did that come about, really? Well, Anton was our drummer of choice, but sadly for us, and fortunately for him. Right when we finish recording, he gets the gig at Letterman. And you can't ask anybody to turn that down, as you can see. What has he had, a 20-some-year run with that? And that's, that's a job you can retire from. And the music business, that doesn't happen very often. You know, deep down inside, I think Anton, rightfully so, always wanted to be up there with the John Bonhams and the Keith Moons. And believe me, he's, he's right up there with those guys. But... A steady gig in the music business is a rare, a very rare thing. So we found ourselves with an album coming out that was starting to do really well sales-wise, and we needed a drummer. And we held auditions, and, you know, we probably, I don't remember who came through, but a lot of drummers came through, and we ended up choosing Billy Ward as our, as our replacement for Anton. And after a while... Um, as happens on occasion when you get people in a band, um, they start to change. And that's what happened. Uh, you know, we wanted to play the songs the way we, they were recorded. And, and I, you know, I honestly feel that's when you get in, when you get hired by a band, you owe it to the band to play the parts the way they were on record. So, um, I think what happened was, uh, in his heart of hearts, even though he's a rock drummer, Billy had a lot of jazz influence and started changing things up. And it just it didn't it didn't really uh, d didn't suit where we were going with it. So we had to part company with him. And uh, at that point, Anton was on a break from Letterman, and we we brought him in and we did a, a EP in Chicago. Uh, which we were encouraged to do by uh, Megaforce, which in hindsight was a mistake doing that EP. It was too soon after the release of the first record, I felt. Yeah, wasn't it also too soon before the release of the second as well? Because Second, yeah. second Siding comes out well, in May 88, Live Plus One, as good as it was, uh, came out in February yeah, and it, it was too much. Just it too, too, much too much at the same time. But I got to say, that studio track you guys put on, Words Are Not Enough, again, yeah. fa fantastic song. Oh, um, thanks. I love that track. I don't know why that it. didn't make it on the record, I on the first record, because it, it was cut for the Fraley's Comet record. You know, it's interesting. I was I, I never really heard the song. Uh, I was in radio at the time that album or that EP was released, and although I spun that track particularly on my show i never recall hearing much about uh the song and it just seems to me almost like a, a terribly missed opportunity because that was a shoe-in for a single and would have been a great way to sort of uh tide the fans over until second sighting hit the streets yeah and see back then though that's that's not the way it operated you know you, you made record you, you didn't do now 
uh, you release singles. Uh, back then, it's my my feeling on this, and I've said it before, uh, is the first record came out. It did right out of the box almost half a million. The Frohley's Comet record, and I really think that Megaforce didn't want to pay us royalties, so go in there and put this EP together as a way to put us back in the unrecouped position with the label. I honestly feel that's what happened. And uh, that's exactly what it did. It put us back in unrecouped, so nobody ever saw any uh, any royalties on that first record. And I know how it, it didn't cost that much to make that first record. Our budget wasn't that big. I think it was maybe $100,000, $125,000. And it came out and sold you know, almost a half a million immediately. So who knows what the bean counters, the games they played at that point. But we we went and put the, the Live Plus One out. And, uh, you know, we were so we were working, touring. Um, and I think really that's what took its toll on Ace when it was time that they wanted now another studio record. You know, it's people don't do that anymore. If you, if you look at the way people put records out now, they're not banging out three records in a year. You know, it's kind of foolish on a lot of levels. Uh, so, you know, I'm sure we'll get to a point where we start discussing second sighting, where you say, well, why was it, you know, why was it so Todd heavy? Well, the reason it was, was because I think Ace was pretty beat, you know. He'd done a lot of work in a two-year period. Was was there when when it came time to do second sighting, and, and I guess now's the time to really jump into this album, um, was there no consideration to go back uh, to some of the earlier Frelly's Comet demos, or was it just that those are old, we need new, or, or why wasn't One Plus One, for that matter, you know, resurrected for this album, since it's so, you know, I, I guess it's so much more poppy than anything on Frelly's Comet debut. Yeah, it, it would have kind of you're fit. You're right. It would have fit. It would have fit. Uh, it would have fit second sighting a lot better. Than, than that's why it didn't make it on uh, Fairly's Comet because it was a little poppy. But it's another track that I really like. But really, uh, I, I think we just wanted to move forward. Uh, and Todd had, had the bulk of the material written. Uh, you know, Ace Ace was not a hundred percent at that point. He was. Uh, kind of slipped back to a couple of his old, like, uh, demons. And the label wanted another record, so we had to hand them another record in, and we did it with the best of our ability with who and what was available to us. So, so there's, there's a couple of songs on this album I'd like to ask you about specifically. Number one, the absolutely incredible It's Over Now. What, what do you remember of that song? I mean, obviously... Four by Fate has a story with this song as well. If I'm uh, if I'm correct, yeah, we we recut it. And it, it the the, de- the moment I heard that song, I was blown away by it. And I believe uh, from what I remember from Todd telling me that was song was written while he was working with Cheap Trick to uh, submit to them at some point. And I guess that never happened for whatever reason. He played it for me, and it was like, you got to be kidding me. This is, you know, this is incredible. So, um, yeah, that, he, was he, a, that was a must. And we were kind of, we self-produced that record, which may or may not have been the best idea um, at the time, but we did it. And 
I'm still very proud of that track. It's one of my one of, one of my favorite tracks that, that I've ever been involved in on anyone's records. And that went out. Uh, that went out as a single. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 I don't know. The label. Weird things were happening back then, you know, in music. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't know why it wasn't pushed harder, because you know, for, the, the, I guess the, you know the. The power pop ballads were still pretty big back then, and I thought that was right in the wheelhouse of all of those. And I've heard the uh, I've heard a sample of the recut that uh, Four by Fate has done of it, and I can tell you, I'm excited for it to come out. Um, the sample that Todd has on his SoundCloud is just amazing, with along with the five other tracks that you guys have sampled. Oh, thank you. Uh, where do you hear? We we got another. We've got six cut. We've got six more. We'll get into that conversation a little later, but this, this, it's it's really going to be a powerful record. I'm very proud of it. And uh, now we've got A.J. Perro playing drums. Uh, you know, I'm jumping way ahead, though. We'll get to that. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to put the cart before the horse. So. Yeah, the the other song on this album I, I really want to ask you about is "Dancing with Danger," which was uh, originally recorded by Streetheart, Streetheart. Canadian band. Yeah. Um, yeah. How? And I, I got to know, what did Ace do to get his uh, name on that uh, songwriting credit? <laughs> because you know, you know, a lot of artists have done that. Uh, and that's just, you know, that, that's the nature of the business. I, I guess uh, someone must have pitched that song to Ace. And he said, well, yeah, you want to make And it's inimitable. Uh, yeah, I got news for it. But, you know, it, it, <laughs> That's probably the way that came about. I mean, I, I and and believe me, he's not the only one to do that. Uh, it happens with the biggest of them because people are looking to get their music placed, and and I think these guys go, "What's in it for me?" You know, give me a little taste, put my name on it. That's been going on since the beginning of, of recorded music, I'm sure. Uh, so that's probably how that ended up. Again, the stuff that the the, the the music that Ace brought to the table for that record was uh, not a lot of it was of his own doing. Yeah. If you look at the songwriting credits. Yeah. I mean, he's on, he's on there, Gene Moore and him for insane. And I think mm -hmm. just the riff really was Ace on that. Um, yeah. but fallen angel, that's another Todd song and another really good Todd song. There's a video for that. That was never released. Yes. Wh wh why? What happened with that? Well, the video, it, it, you know, again, and, and, and trying to be thrifty, uh, those videos for It's Over Now and Fallen Angel were shot when we did the Live in London TV, uh, it wasn't DVD, it was a VHS back then. The, the, the <laughs> old show. Yeah. When is so the they, DVD coming out? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think Missy is... She runs Megaforce. Missy Calabro, is that her? Calazzo? Yeah. yeah Missy Calazzo, uh, yeah. And she, uh, I believe she handles that, that catalog right now. And I know a lot of people have asked for that uh, on, on DVD. And at one point, I really wanted, I wanted to do a 25th anniversary box set back a couple of years ago, uh, which is kind of how the whole 4 by Faith thing got started. Uh, we, I was done working with Frampton in 2010, and, you know, we were, in 2012 was the 25th anniversary of the first Frehley's Comet record. And I really wanted to do a remaster of everything, add some tracks, 
include a DVD and do a nice box set for for the you know the supporters that that stayed with us for all those years. I, I think that that's something that still should be done. You know, make it reasonably priced. Add some uh, some of those tracks that you were talking about that never really made it on the record. And it would have been a nice package. It would, you know, everything that that the EP, the three LPs, and and the DVD. Yeah, you know, there's a there's a great body of material you guys did. I mean, uh, you managed to put out a bit of it on Loaded Deck and what Greatest Hits Live and Twelve Picks. You know, some of the additional live tracks from Chicago. You know, mm-hmm. it, it'd be yeah. great to have that full Chicago show just as a collector for for that matter. But Rock Candy, a UK label, did do uh, reissues of Second Sighting and Trouble Walking, I believe. I did hear that. Yeah, I heard that. But no, I, I just wanted to put it all together. Um, because actually, when you stop and think about it, the band, for only being, you know, a functional recording band in three years, put a lot of stuff out. <laughs> yeah. If you look at bands nowadays, it's three years between records, one record sometimes now. Yeah, and if you also can, I guess if we consider that Ace wasn't in the greatest shape of his life for quite a bit of that period, it's amazing the workload you guys did manage to do. Yeah, he was, for the first record, he was just stellar he was spectacular he had been uh you know on the wagon for a couple of years and just working really hard and then when we started touring a lot some of those demons started coming back and that's what led to as i said the second sighting was uh, pretty ace light as far as uh contribution we kind of made the record around him and you know people fault todd for coming in and uh and, you know, taking over, and that, that was not the case at all. As a matter of fact, Todd had to redouble his efforts to come up with material so we could fulfill, fulfill an obligation to the record company. And I was very grateful that Todd was there and, and uh, put the work in that had to be done. He's, he's probably one of the, I have to say, I had the good fortune of working with, you know, many, many musicians in my time, and he's, he is the hardest working musician I've ever met. And he still is to this day. His work ethic is, is second to none. Well, listening to uh, your radio broadcast with Four by Fate the other day, uh, before you did the Chance show last year. Oh yeah, that was you know, fun. Wow, <laughs> you know Todd still sounds fantastic as well. You know, oh, I mean the pipes. You know, he, all these years he, he, on, he's actually gotten better. I think there's nothing lost as far as the range whatsoever. Uh, he still looks great as I get fatter by the minute, but that's another story. <laughs> So, no, I mean, Todd is just—he's—he's he's amazing. He's an amazing man on every level. Musician, you know, I couldn't—I love him like a brother, and I'm honored that we're working together again. And it really restoked the fire for me to be—you know—be back in a band with with somebody who's that hard of a worker. Oh, I'm glad you guys got back together. I can uh, tell you—I mean, I've been picking up uh, loaded deck. Oh, I was 14. It was like 10 years ago. I was a freshman in high school. And, uh, everyone was having a pretty common hearing this track. And was like, man, it's such a bummer. These guys aren't playing anymore together. And so, you know, the, the see you guys doing the songs again is, is awesome. And, uh, actually going back to real quick, that video for Fallen Angels, do you think there'd be a chance you guys might throw that into the set for like four by fan at all? Or is that little? Yeah, that, that, everything's on the table. I mean, that's a great suggestion. Uh, and, you know, and, and I don't feel, you know, what, what when we decided to put this 4 by 8 thing together, 
we really wanted to use it to honor all of the all of the influences and and all of the background of the music that made us what we are today. Uh, so people go, ah, you know, you're doing old music. Well, no, it, it's old music that Todd, you know, that we worked on together. So that's part that's part of our our musical DNA, and we're proud of it. And we're gonna we're whenever we can play those songs, we're gonna play them. And I think people would still enjoy hearing them again. Now you did a bit of cheap trick, if I recall, surrender. Which is always a great uh, track to we throw. We didn't want you to want me. Oh yeah, that's right. We didn't want you to want me. Uh, but but again, that, that's what we wanted. We we wanted to make it kind of like take the audience on a little musical journey of of our history because it's a brand new band, and uh, we're all really proud of that because every one of those experiences, my my experience with Frampton, John Waite, uh, making records with Billy Idol, Robin Trower working with Stephen Stills, uh, Dave Edmonds, the Stones, that all, it, it just like all of your experiences in life affect the person you are today, and the, the experiences that you'll come up with tomorrow and next week will affect you down the road. So it's all it's still relevant, and especially musically. It's all part of our musical uh, history and our, our pedigree, and, and we're going to keep doing that when we do live shows. And I don't consider it... Uh, you know, that we're being a cover band. I just, it, to me, it's just, it's a nod of thanks and gratitude to the, the amazing musicians that we've all had a chance to stand alongside of and work with throughout our career. And and like I said, uh, I think it's great, especially um, obviously being able to even pull out the stuff like the cheap trick stuff with Todd. Uh, going back to the history, though, there, come, there comes a point, Todd Howard has to leave freely comment. Um, you know, he's like, I think he mentioned this to many of these before. He had the, you know, he had a family to take care of and stuff. So then it comes to trouble walking era. Was there really much differences between working on that album compared to the Comet albums at all? Oh, absolutely. Well, you know, Todd, um, you hit the nail on the head. He had responsibilities, and I think uh, he didn't see his role in the band. I think the label wanted it to be more uh, Ace Frehley focused which I totally understand. I mean, I, I don't fault him for that whatsoever. But Todd's a smart enough guy to know that it was time to move on and, uh, you know, move on to the next chapter of his life. And that kind of left us, like, basically Ace and I again. Now what do we do? Uh, so, we, you know, it, we do drummer auditions. And uh, I remember one day while we were doing auditions, it, it's one of the highlights of my life, uh, Eric Carr came in and sat in with us just to play, you know, just for the joy of playing. And uh, I'll remember that day forever. And I also know that I, I think Gene got really annoyed on him for doing it, which makes no sense whatsoever. But, uh, you know, a lot of these uh, a lot of these rock stars have control issues. <laughs> they like to control everything around them. But it was great. Uh, Eric was just a, one of the sweetest guys in the world and monster behind the drums. So we did auditions and... Uh, we were kind of hoping he was going to be able to play with us, but that wasn't going to happen. So we ended up uh, choosing Sandy Slavin because uh, he was the only drummer that destroyed his cymbals while we were doing the audition. We figured this guy's, he's got to come. We need him. He was a, he was an animal behind the drums. But he didn't record all of uh, Trouble Walking, did he? Anton came back for some. No, we, well, again, we needed to make the record. I, I, yeah, I skipped ahead a little bit. Uh, we brought Eddie Kramer back in, which was the best thing we could have done. 
because we all really worked well with him. And I, I always enjoyed co-producing the records with him. And we remain really good friends to this day. Uh, but we brought Anton in and uh, brought Richie back in because it made sense. Richie was available, and they wanted it to have a harder edge. And, you know, you described Richie singing and playing perfectly earlier. Uh, and that's what he brought back in, and he had some great tunes on that record. You know, Too Young to Die was a killer. Uh, he, he just he just brought that rock and roll danger back into the band. Yeah, that, that album, it, it's almost like it's what would have been the Frelly's Comet album in 1984 in terms of the harder edge, the more gritty rock material. You guys are up at, I guess, Northlake for this one in Dreamland. Um, yes, exactly. Yep. And you, you got, I, I guess, you got had a lot of guests on this as well. Sebastian Bach and some of the guys from uh, Skid Row, Pepe yeah. Castro, Peter Chris. You know, Peter, Peter stopped in. Peter was was great. He really, really, uh, he he really added a lot. Even though he didn't play drums on it, just by having him there with Ace was fantastic. I mean, it, it set a really great tone. And Ace was back to working hard at that point, you know. And it shows. I, I think he did some great work on that record. Yeah, Rich, Richie definitely seems to have reinvigorated the sound and the songs and brought it, uh, I guess, it's a 180 from Second Siding. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, what's interesting, though, is that uh, the Fraley's Comet moniker was, at that point, dropped um, in favor of just using Ace Fraley. So I'm curious, was it a political thing, uh, you know, with the label, or was it just a conscious decision by the collective uh, to try a different approach with the, yeah, with the, I, the I think that was the label that really pushed for that. And I agree. I thought it made sense. You know, I, I, I was looking at things. I was involved in, in a lot of the business aspects of the band, and it made sense to me. You know, because it really it it said Fraley's comic, but the record deal was with Ace Fraley. We were not signed as a band at any point in time. Uh, it was always a, it was a solo deal. Ace signed the contract. None of us did. So it it made sense. I, I thought it made sense. So, go ahead, Alex. Oh, okay. Um, so, which album would you say is maybe the most rewarding artistically to work on? Maybe which one was the most challenging? Oh man, the most fun would have been the first record for for a lot of reasons. You know. We, we had the aborted attempt at putting the band together, and now it's like, okay, now we can finally get to, to, to put this record out. So that that was the uh, the most rewarding on a uh, just, I don't want to say musical, but there were, there were points on each one of those records that were very rewarding musically. You had mentioned It's Over Now on, on Second Sighting. That's right at the top of the list for me. Uh, Breakout on the first album is right at the top of the list. Um, you know, they, they were all rewarding in different ways. The most difficult one uh, would have been Second Sighting, only because we had to make, we made the record around Ace, honestly. Uh, we still enjoy doing it, and I'm proud of it. Um, you know, the most the most hard rocking is obviously the trouble walking. That that one really that one kicks on every level. So there's things about all of them that that, that I like, and I couldn't pick one of them. They kind of they kind of cross 
I kind of cross borders on on, on the on, on every level. So, so like, you know, records are like your children. You can't really <laughs> like one of them better. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh yes, you can. <laughs> well, you can, but, uh, yeah. Well, I guess, uh, yeah. You're not. You're not too su- supposed to admit it, though. <laughs> yeah. So I but you know, when it comes down to the, the songs that I love playing live, that's usually what I gauge it by. Uh, I really used to. I, I loved doing Breakout. That was that was by far my favorite. I really loved doing Remember Me live too. That was another one of my favorites. Was the uh, so, Rock Freak with Remember Me? Was there ever um, a studio version of that song? Because I believe the Trouble Walking has that live from like a club in France. No, that, so, was, that was done in the studio. That, okay. that was a studio. It, it, that was one of Eddie Kramer's, uh, you know, magical moments of. I, I, I honestly believe that that the that the uh, live audience from that was lifted off the front that comes alive. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what we you we, we did. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that was that was that was fun to do live. That one, and uh, I, I'd love Too Young to Die. That was a great, great track to do live. Um, you know, Trouble Walking, Todd songs, obviously. So it, 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 it was all. And I'm I'm really I'm proud of all. Of it. There's nothing that we did that that I, I listen to and cringe. Which happens on occasion when you, when you do a record. So, uh, like we mentioned, kind of thinking stuff. Eventually, it comes to mid '90s, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm you shared the story a bit, but it comes to two compilations, both take loaded deck. So, um, how, a little bit how this uh, this project come about, and, and how, was it difficult taking the tracks for the albums? So, was there any like songs you wish you put on that you did it or whatnot? No. What, what happened was. Um I left. Work, I stopped working with Ace in 1990, and then I, at that point, I was working with Stephen Stills touring. Uh, had like a blues band when he wasn't with Crosby, Nash and Young. He just used to like to strap on a Telecaster and get out and like let it rip. So that was a lot of fun. And I was looking for something to do in my downtime, and. Some reason I just started getting like you know melancholy about the Fraley's common stuff, and I, I called Johnny Z up and I said, "Listen, why don't, why don't we uh, why don't we try to put something together? Um, it's a little retrospective of, of what we did with Ace and Fraley's Comet. and that's how Twelve Picks came about. And I tried to find some tracks that you know that weren't out there yet. Um, and I, I thought it was a nice little package, but how the whole concept of 12 ticks came about is my wife ran the Fraley's Collin fan club and when uh, you know, we used to we paid for all of the whatever you, the, the members got 8 by 10s you know used to get autographed picks etc cetera, etc cetera. and uh, when I left the band it, it wasn't really a pleasant situation because it got to the point again where I was trying to move the project forward, and uh, the stuff that Ace was doing was, you know, I'd move it forward a foot, he'd move it backwards two feet, and it got very frustrating for me. And again, you know, you have to have to look at things and go, well, you know, I've got a family to feed and a house to pay for, and I'm not going to go down with the Titanic. So that's why I chose to leave at that point. And uh, I remember. 
Richie Scarlett saying to me, uh, Johnny, you got to go do these KISS conventions. And I didn't know anything about a KISS convention at that point. It was the farthest thing from my mind. But I did have a lot of uh, product, whether it's 8x10s or picks, stuff that we had paid for for the fan club that was just cluttering my house. And at that point, I really didn't want it. I could have cared less about it. So it was a great... Uh, outlet to go to the KISS convention and unload a bunch of this stuff. So in doing so, a few years later, now keep in mind, I was owed a substantial amount of money from Ace, uh, which, be that as it may, you know, it's the way it is in the music business. But um, I get this call from whoever was managing Ace. He, he went through a string of uh, B and C grade managers for, in the 90s, right? <laughs> yeah. The guy calls me up and he goes, uh, my client, Paul Fraley, understands you're selling some of these picks and uh, we insist you cease and desist. And I said, well, <laughs> your, your client, Paul Fraley, owes me $70,000, so here's the deal. You send me $70,000 and I'll send you the picks back. I won't sell anymore. How does that sound? And that was the last I heard from the guy. <laughs> that was the end of that conversation real quick. So in putting the album together, I just thought I'd send a little message. So I, I, I named the 12 picks. <laughs> we included a free pick in it. <laughs> if I recall, weren't there, weren't there 40,000 picks? What's that? Weren't there 40,000 picks? <laughs> 40,000? What do you mean? 40,000 individual picks included in the... Uh, the initial pressing of the album. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they're, they're pretty collectible, actually. Those, yeah. I've, I've still got so that, one. That's, that's how that came about. That was, that was just kind of a little, a little message back to them that, you know, let's not be stupid about this. <laughs> Go, going back to the end of uh, your, your association with Ace, the, the, the Trouble Walking Tour ran through April 1990, I guess. Uh, the last date I've been able to find is Celebrity Theater. Did you guys quit before the end of the tour, or did you see out the uh, scheduled dates? No. When the, the reason I left is because the last date of the tour was Anaheim, California, and it was a sold-out show, and Ace decided he was going to take his girlfriend to Disney World and blow the show off. Oh, right. So and that, 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 that would was, be the celebrity show. for me. Wow. That was it. Okay. You know? Because we were, we were operating. We were, you know, we, we, we need to go back a little bit, too. We toured with Alice Cooper, uh, and then we toured with uh, Iron Maiden. Now, whoever was managing Ace at the time, I don't. We used to go through managers like Spinal Tap. You know, they they blow up every two or three weeks. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, whoever put that deal together was a blithering idiot because the deal he made with Iron Maiden was if Iron Maiden canceled the show, Fraley's Comet did not get paid. Now, we were operating as an opening act, so we weren't bringing a lot of money in. We were bringing in enough money to pay the bills and nothing more. The problem was, if one show or two shows got dropped out that week, there was no money to make it up, and the label would not give us any tour support. So a lot of people thought we, you know, we pulled off the tour because of Ace, you know, was having problems. The reality of those, when we pulled off that tour, was we, Iron Maiden, cancel shows and we couldn't we weren't getting paid and we couldn't stay out it was as simple as that it was simple finances and uh, the same situation ran on the trouble walker tour 
Now, touring is expensive. You have buses and trucks and crew and hotels and et cetera, et cetera. And we weren't commanding that, you know, big enough money where there was a lot of a, a lot of wiggle room with our uh, with our cash flow. So by Ace choosing to just blow off that last show, the money that we were going to pick up for that show would have finished out paying all the bills and paying people's salaries and everything. And by him just walking away, it was a very, very irresponsible thing to do and a slap in the face to everyone. And that was the straw that broke the camel's back for me that day. I said, I can't keep doing this. I can't keep trying my, you know, hard to make this succeed when he's going to do something that's that, that irresponsible and insulting to everyone who's there trying to make a career for him. And I don't even know if I've ever told that story to anybody, to be honest. Yeah, that, that was just one of my tour notes that I wanted to ask you about, and you've answered it, so I, I totally appreciate that. Let's wrap up the, the, the Frelly stuff. You know, the the 12 picks, you gave us a whole bunch of really cool um, songs from the London show, and um, then we get to Loaded Deck, and you dig up Richie's version, you know, the 89 version of Give It To Me Anyway and One Plus One. Were there any other studio tracks that you uh, kind of went through the vaults and considered re- for release on that before settling you on know, those? They were the only two I could find. And oddly enough, uh, I, ha- I went back to um, the, the uh, Atlantic vaults is where all this stuff was stored. There was a period in the 80s when we were making records in the late 80s where the tape that we were making the masters onto was kind of faulty. So what happens is the magnetic surface that bonds to the tape that the recorded material is, is embedded in was separating from the backing. So I had to go in and you did a process called baking, yeah. which you, you pretty pretty much, for those that don't know, you, you take the tape and you put it in a big toaster oven, which adheres the the, uh, the recording back to the, the backer tape. But you've only got a few passes to mix or anything like that. So uh, all I could find that was usable were those two tracks. And, and one of them was is only, a, I think give it to me anyway sadly is only a, i could only find a stereo mix of that on a quarter inch i couldn't find it on the two inch and completely remix it because anton's drumming on that is spectacular i really wish i could have found the two inch but it, it didn't exist hey to get to uh what was two new a songs back then what 90 that was 1998 that came out was uh really fantastic and you know that was uh oh, thank you those things i enjoyed i really enjoyed working on those a lot it was a lot of fun to to relive those and and, and dig up what i could and you gave us more of chicago uh the 87 show so yeah yeah that that's still my dream and anyone out there listening to this who uh is in the know put out the full chicago show on itunes that would just be worth it as a quick and dirty 799 download would love to hear I, I, that i think you're great i think you're right i mean there, there are things that can be done why they're not being done i have no idea you know because there's definitely people that would that would enjoy having that in their collection and and it's good stuff too it's not like not like we'll be giving anybody anything that's really bad sounding or performance wise wasn't up to par you know i have to say in in no matter in any state that ace was in he was still great, <laughs> you know. He's the ace, so. So yeah, I mean, it, it, there's only one. 
before before we get started on uh, Four by Fate, just uh, briefly, 1997 Comet Band. You uh, were recruited, I believe, by Doug Snazel mm-hmm. for the yeah. Return of the Comets um, tribute album, and you recut a couple of Frehley's Comet tracks. What do you yeah, recall? What do you recall about those? Uh, we we brought Arthur Spett back in, and uh, Richie came in, and we just had a good time. We we, we figured we just do a rendition, uh, try to try to relive the moment, as it were, and uh, it, it was it was a fun project. Um, I, I don't know how you know how well it did for Doug financially, uh, but. It was a good effort. There was some cool stuff on that record. Became a very collectible CD. That much I know. Uh, I oh, can't. I, I can't recall. It was Todd involved in that as well. I know he had a, uh, one of his solo tracks, "California Burning." I think it was uh, on yeah, the he album. Wasn't involved. I didn't. We didn't get together and, and record anything for that as, as we did with Richie, because I think you know budgetary. We were all here, so it was easy. And, you know, Arthur was in New York, and uh, Richie was here, so it was easy to work on that. I told Alex I was gonna. I I told Alex I was gonna shut up today, but uh, Alex, I'm, I'm gonna well, let I'm gonna let you take the lead into the four by fate. You know, dude. let's get cur- let's get current. That's the past. Let's, let's get into the present. That's right. good. I'm excited. So obviously, um, we've got four by fate, which is the current band with you and Todd Howard, and for a little bit it had Stan Howard and Sean Kelly, which of course has some lineup changes. But would you be willing to share just a little bit of how you guys got together? Um, I recorded with the Mr. Bond award with Heroes Tribute Project. Yeah, well, what happened with that was, as we had spoken about a little bit earlier in the interview here, uh, the 25th anniversary of Frehley's Comet release would have been 2012, I believe. Yep. Yes, that would have been 2012. And I wanted to do something, you know, uh, to commemorate that. Because what had happened is I had been touring Australia and uh, South America with Frampton uh, a couple of years earlier, and people would be sh- would show up at the Frampton shows with all of this Fraley's Comet stuff, and I I couldn't I was absolutely flabbergasted that they still remembered in the in the numbers that were showing up that they did remember, uh, and it, it, it just made me start thinking again. So well, you know. I'd, I'd kind of forgotten about it, to be honest. You know, you, you go along and you do other things with other other projects, and, you know, life has a way of just moving forward. And these people started showing up, and actually to the point where Frampton started getting pissed because they, they weren't coming to him asking to sign Frampton Comes Alive. They had, like, piles of Fraley's common stuff. I think he's starting to get a little irked at me, but that's too bad. <laughs> so that, you know, when I got back... Uh, and then, you know, 2011 rolled around, and this 25th anniversary is coming up. I, I, uh, I talked to Todd, and uh, I said, you know, what do you think? You want me to try to talk to Ace? Because what I wanted to do, I wanted to do about 10 or 12 shows, and I wanted to do it with everybody. I wanted to do it with Anton, uh, Richie, and Todd, and, uh, and Sandy. Because those were the guys that were, that was the, the core of the band, the different bands. And I wanted to do like a retrospective of every era. I mean, we could have done stuff from those days at the SIR that you were talking about, you know, if I could have found Arthur. But Ace 
pretty much didn't want anything to do with it. I, I made a point to go down and see him at one of these conventions, at one of these thriller or chiller horror conventions. He was doing autograph signing. You know, I tried to get a hold of him through John uh, Astronomy, and that wasn't working. So I figured if uh, you know Mohammed wasn't going to come to the mountain or whatever. It is. Anyway, I, I went down and I asked him. I said, "Look, hey, do you have any interest in doing this?" And I, I need a hundred thousand bucks a show. And I go, yeah, right. Hundred thousand bucks. Who wouldn't? You know, I, I, you know, I, need, I need to win the lottery, but that's not going to happen either. <laughs> so he still kinda... owes you seventy thousand. We are, yeah. We didn't even get into that part uh, with, with interest from nineteen ninety. So you can figure that one out. That's uh, water under the bridge, though. But he, uh, he just basically, he felt that there would be absolutely no interest whatsoever. Uh, and by throwing that figure out of me, he was, I think, telling me, uh, trying to tell me in a nice way that he had no interest in doing it. So, the same time we were kind of talking to Mitch Lafont about uh, doing um, his tribute record, A World with Heroes, which was just an, an amazing undertaking on his part. Uh, I had seen a blurb about it on Facebook. And I reached out to Mitch and I said, Mitch, you know, I love what you're doing. I love the reason you're doing it uh, for, you know, hospice. Because uh, unfortunately, too many of us have, have had situations where we had to have hospice services for our loved ones. And those people are angels on earth. So I said to Mitch, if there's anything I could do to donate my services, just ask. So we ended up uh, in talking about recutting a track or two. So I got Todd back on the phone. I said, hey, listen, what do you think about recutting Breakout? And I'll only do it, you know, you do it and you sing it. So he thought that was a, an interesting idea. So we ended up recutting Breakout for Mitch's project. And then uh, he had Todd sing on a couple other tracks. I played on a couple other tracks with some different people. And in this ongoing conversation with Mitch, he started saying, well, you guys think about putting a band together and, and maybe touring some of the, you know, the old Fraley's common stuff and doing some new stuff. I said, well, not, we didn't really think about that. I wanted to do something with Ace, but that's kind of been uh, passed on by Ace himself. So let me talk to Todd. So spoke to Todd. And... I said, I don't know. I'm thinking, I don't know if anybody would care if we would do this. Uh, I got a hold of Danny Stanton, who I've known since he was a young lad, and one of the, the few people that I trust his opinion on in this business. Uh, I ran it by him, and I said, Danny, you tell me whether you think this is a good idea or not. And he, he uh, put some feelers out, and he said, yeah, well, you know, there seems to be some interest, but uh, it's only two of you. What are you going to do? I said, well, uh, you got any ideas? And he came up with Stet, Howlin, because uh, he had uh, known Stet from his days with Wasp and Leah Ford. And uh, so we got Stet involved, and Mitch had uh, brought Sean Kelly's name up, because he's a Canadian. So we ended up with a band that was basically four points on a compass, because Todd's in San Diego, I'm in New York, Sean is in Toronto, and Stet is in... Florida, so you couldn't get any farther apart and still be on the same continent as we were. Uh, it really just kind of uh, it fell into place. We went down, we did some, we did a rehearsal. Uh, 
Danny booked a few shows, and that was the band. You know, it, 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 we loved it. The shows went over well, um, and then we started to looking into doing some recording. So Todd came up with a, uh, a bunch of songs, and uh, I, I insisted. I don't, I don't know whether how keen Todd it was on it, but I insisted we recut. It's over now because I, I, I never thought that got the recognition it deserved. To be honest with you. So that brought us to the point of uh, getting ready to go into the studio. Now, do you have any more questions? You want me to just keep I do. Actually, actually, real quick, one quick question, period. Is uh, Stet Howland at all related to Keith Howland, the guitarist for Chicago? Uh, no, I don't no, believe I just so. Wasn't, just wasn't no. sure. No, I don't, I, I don't think so. It's kind of an odd question. I, I, that. I, I can't say with complete... Uh, conviction but I, I don't I don't think there's a connection there so now you know we did the shows they went over great uh, we went over and did a, a festival over in Belgium last year big rock festival the Alcatraz festival that went over really well uh, and then comes time to do the record and Todd flies in the studio's booked everything's up and running and paid for and Todd and I are down at a KISS convention the day before we're getting ready to go in the studio. And someone that was at the convention came up to our table and said, well, Stet's been in an accident. And I was like, what? Because <laughs> he posted it on his Facebook page, a selfie from laying in the hospital with a neck brace on. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. So we're like freaking out now. We don't know, what are we going to do? The studio's booked, the songs are ready, we've got to record. So I get Danny Stanton on the phone in, in, in a panic mode, and uh, he's he's uh, Danny's got his grace under pressure. Nothing, he, no matter what happens, he's got an answer for it. Thank God. But uh, we said, Danny, we we've got the time booked that the studio's paid for. Todd's flew in from California. We have to record. So he goes, Well, I only know one guy. He's in New Jersey, and it's AJ Peril, Twisted Sister. Now. I'm, you know, I'm familiar with Twisted Sister, but I wasn't really deeply familiar with Twisted Sister. So I didn't know AJ's playing except for the, the songs you heard on the radio. We're not going to take it. And, uh, is that the, I think that's the title, right? It's one of their biggest, yep. biggest songs. And uh, so I'm going, oh, I, I don't know. I, I, how am I supposed to make this decision? So I went on YouTube real quick, and I just put AJ Perro's name in. And I came up with this thing that, he did uh, called the Bonzo Bash, uh, a tribute to John Bonham. I guess a lot of the, the big drummers in, in the world get together once a year and they do this tribute to, to Bonham. And I listened to the track that he was playing on, and it absolutely destroyed me how good he was. So it's like, okay, let's let's get him on the phone. Todd sent him the songs over the internet. Uh, he had 24 hours to learn them. Uh, which was, you know, we had lived with him for weeks before it was time to go in the studio. So he's coming in like basically blind. So we're at the studio. We get a phone call from, from AJ. He goes, you're not going to believe this. I just left my house. And, oh, and, and I, let me back up a little bit. What happened with Stent was he was, he was on a highway, stopped, and it, he got rear-ended and the car got totaled and he ended up in the hospital and his girlfriend. So... I get a, we get a call from AJ. He goes, you're not going to believe it. I'm just leaving the house. I just got rear-ended. <laughs> my car's... I, 
I see this can't be happening. This is beyond comprehension. So fortunately, though, he wasn't injured as Stett was pretty banged up. You know, he was out of commission for quite a while. Uh, so we managed to get him a, a limo, and the car service brought him up to the studio, and he came in, and for three days, he just completely blew us away on these tracks. So that's where we're at with uh, AJ being in the band. Yeah, he's a, he's a total monster drummer, isn't he? I mean, oh my God, I, and, and and the nicest guy, I, you know. Don't get me wrong, Stet was as well, but n- and now we've got half an album recorded with AJ. It's like now, what are we gonna do? You know, we need continuity for the rest of it. So the decision was made. It was a tough decision, but to ask AJ to stay uh, stay on board. Now and simultaneously. Um, we cut the tracks three-piece, Todd, AJ, and myself. And then we were going to send uh, the tracks up to Sean in Canada and put some guitars on. And he did some great guitar work. But I think he really felt like he wanted to go a different direction with, you know, where he is. He plays with Nelly Furtado. He's, a, he's just a, he's another great guitar player and great guy. But I think in his heart of hearts, he... Um, maybe wasn't too thrilled with the direction and how heavy we got with these tracks that we cut. Um, and he, you know, graciously said, you know, he was very, very nice about it, but he said he thought it would be better if, uh, if maybe, uh, we had another guitar player in the band. So, uh, Pat, Patrick James ended, uh, he wrote one of the tracks that we cut. Uh, it's called Follow Me. So, and he's a New York guy, and uh, Todd had gotten together with him a few months earlier just to do some writing for this project as well to see if they'd come up with anything, and they hit it off perfectly. So he just seemed to be the, the absolute right fit, and we're we're really just we're proud to have him in the band. So the band is now uh, AJ Perro. Uh, Patrick James and Todd and myself. So as fate would have it, things move change. So that's very strange. They do, and and obviously, I know you've got this uh, first six songs recorded. How much? Uh, what are you guys at this point with recording and with plans for distribution? Well, we're, right now we're going into the studio um, the nineteenth of May to finish up. So by the end of May, uh, by June first, we'll have a complete. 12-track record. Danny is shopping it. Danny Stanton is shopping it right now. We're still not sure which way we're going to go with it. There's, it's such a different world now. I mean, um, are we going to put out a single on iTunes? Are we going to? Uh, we're not sure right now. Every, everything is on the table. We're not discounting anything as a way to go with it. Uh, if any of you uh, label executives are interested, give me a ring. <laughs> <laughs> And then I guess when, uh, when you when you hear this interview, call me. I'll be glad to talk to you. And uh, I guess just a couple more questions, then we'll, we'll wrap it up. Uh, thank you so much for spending so much time with us. Oh, I, it's my uh, pleasure. I, I love talking to you guys. I mean, I got to tell you real quick. I my dad bought twelve picks when I was oh, I was like six or seven when he bought it, and to always hear the name, you know, John Regan bass guitar, and then I think here I am right now. So thank you so much for for coming on with us. Uh, the pleasure's mine, I, and, and you know, back at you. It's an honor to be talking to you guys. Uh, you know, we're 
we're all in this together. I, I don't I don't like to use the word fans when I talk. I, it, to me, it's friends because if I really dislike and I, I've worked with some artists who will remain nameless who actually ha it seemed to have disdain for their fans, and I could never understand that because without people supporting you, we don't get to do what we love. So we're all in this together. That includes you guys. I mean, you're kind enough to take your time to talk to me uh, and, you know, let people know what I'm up to now. And that can only help. So it, it's, it's teamwork across the board from, from the, the people who are recording the music to the people that are buying the music. Everyone is equally important in the, in the big mix of things. Wait, you, you, uh, people still buy music? It's not free to download? <laughs> no, I don't. No, that's why. That's why I said it. It, it, it is free. Yeah, you have to sue. You have to sue now to get money from people. <laughs> it's crazy. It's really. It's it's sad actually. But how 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 do you feel? And you know, this is 2015, John. You've been in. You've been gigging since the early 70s in the music yeah. industry, a professional player. Is it hard for a person who's been in the industry 40 years? to adapt to what the industry or the lack of industry is today? Well, it's saddening. It, it, it saddens me, and it saddens me for the young musician. I I had an unbelievable run at a time when it was like rock and roll was just <laughs> anything goes. It was it was pretty phenomenal. I mean, those days are, are not around anymore. So uh, I'm just thrilled that I got to live it. Uh, I don't, you'll never see that period again in, in, in time. I mean, I remember working on uh, the Billy Idol Whiplash Smile record, and the budget ended up being $800,000. That's never going to happen again. You know, It was ludicrous, but it was fun. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to lie. Uh, uh, it, it's My concern now is for how is the young songwriter, the young musician going to, to, to be able to have a career and support himself or herself in the music business. I don't know. Uh, there are new ways, obviously, uh, of doing it. And if your ego's in check and you don't care about telling somebody that you're signed to Sony or, or Atlantic or the big labels, who you really have to end up taking to court to get your money anyway, um, I guess there's a bunch of new ways to do records the way Mitch LaFond did A World with Heroes, where you guys are probably know more about it than I do. Yeah, Mitch, Mitch did an absolutely fantastic job putting that whole project together. The amount of players and names that he brought in for such a great cause as well, because obviously well, a, a hospice yep. care is going to touch everyone in some way during their life. You know, So the cause was righteous. Um, yes, absolutely. But he did, I don't know, what is it, what's it called? Uh, like pledge, is it pledge music? Yeah, he did. He did. He did it through pledge music, and the album's still available on iTunes. With uh, the last time I checked, it had a whole bunch of uh, really cool bonus tracks. Um, yeah. You know, it, it's that, still that, out there. That record is a must-have, not just for Kiss fans, for rock and roll fans. Yeah. And, and you hit the nail on the head. He he pulled off something that I don't think we'll ever see again by getting everyone uh, to 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 put time and effort in and it was because it was him and for the right reasons and and Mitch is it's a lot of reasons for by faith even exists I, I'll be the first one to say it you know Mitch uh, LaFon and, and Danny Stanton are, are two people who are not in the band but we consider as part of the band 
And, and I do want to say, I know Mitch, uh, he just had surgery. And, uh, you know, Mitch, you're on our prayers. I hope you recover smoothly from all of that. And thank you so much for, you know, doing the World with Heroes project. I mean, we know you had obviously the thing that you went through with it. But thank you so much for doing this and bringing, helping bring about Full by Faith. Yeah, and I'm, I thank Mitch too. And as a matter of fact, I, I was just uh, I was just uh, Facebook messaging with him not too long before we were on the phone, and he's on the mend, thank God. And uh, you know, he he's just he's one of those rare uh, human beings that, that uh, everything he does is for the right reasons, and he's he's one of my favorite people. So. Yep, totally passionate about music. Check out his one on one with Mitch Lafon. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess we'll get close to wrapping up, but. Real quick, I got two kind of semi-funny uh, questions for you, John, if you don't mind. No, no, no. first one is, uh, are you familiar with the TV show Parks and Recs? I'm, I'm sorry? Are you familiar with the television show Parks and Recs? Yes, yeah. So so it's based on, um, I, I have believed that you were, in the early 90s, was a park commissioner for the town of Rappingers Falls, New York. Was uh, the show at all based upon you at all? Well, I haven't gotten a check yet, so I, I don't think so. Okay. It could be held up, and it, it could be stuck in a mailbox with Ace's check. I'm not sure. Hopefully, they'll both arrive at the same time. <laughs> and then one more. I, I asked you before back in the winter, but I go to school up here in uh, Idaho, and uh, I mentioned before they pronounce the word Italian like Italian. So, would you please give us the proper pronunciation of the word Italian? It's Italian. Forget about it. What's wrong with you anyway? It's Italian. Italian looks like Italian. It looks to the eye. Italian. It's Italian. Don't make me come out there right now. (laughs) Don't make me come over there. Thank you so uh, much. I don't want you you eating Chef Boyardee. None of that stuff. Get some (laughs) real food, will you? I guess I'd like to throw in one last question as well. Um, if you were to add in a Peter Frampton song into the set by Four by Fate, what would it be? We did. We did. Well, it, it wasn't necessarily a Peter Frampton song. I had the honor of working on a track with the late Steve Marriott along with Peter. We did a track called The Bigger They Come. Oh, wow. Uh, and it was in a movie, which was not a great movie, but the movie was called Harley Davidson and the Marlboro Man. Yeah, I remember and that. It's on that soundtrack. And by the way, Anton's on drums on that track. But... Uh, it's yeah, it's the bigger they come, uh, Frampton Marriott and Steve just he's another guy that right to the end was singing his ass off. I mean, just incredible. So even though we didn't do that track with Four by Fate, Stet and Wasp and I with Peter had done Humble Pie's version of I Can't uh, I Don't Need No Doctor. So we actually did I Don't Need No Doctor in our live set. So that that that's that was the Frampton connection. As far as doing one from the the Peter Frampton solo years, I don't. It, it really, I don't think so. I think we're going to stick with the with the with the uh, humble pie connection. Can't go wrong with that. Nah, that, that was a great band. That was a phenomenal band. Jay, any last questions? No, I think uh, I think the I think your friends are uh, very excited uh, to hear this, this new project when it's fully realized uh, on on iTunes or, or whatever other means you decide to use to release the music. We're excited. It's it's really nice to see sort of the Fraley's Comet thing come full circle. And I'm interested to see uh, how it all how it all pans out at the end when we get the, the full Monty. Yeah, 
Well, thank you, and, and we're, we're excited. I, I'm, I'm, I can speak for Todd and I, and, and now Pat and AJ. We just uh, we can't wait to to get the record completed and get out there and do some shows because uh, it felt it felt so good to step back on that stage with Todd and play that music again. It, it brought back a lot of good memories, and and really, I find in my lifetime that's one of the best things about music. Uh, Old memories and new memories. I mean, it, it, it really, you know, the, a lot of music is a soundtrack of your life. You, you you delineate passages of time by certain songs, and that's an important that's an important aspect of music. And I hope that never ends. I I, I hope we find out a way to uh, make it worthwhile for artists and writers to continue on and be able to make a living at it. Because I can't even imagine a world without new music in it. So I want to thank you guys. It's been a pleasure, and anytime, uh, anytime you you want to give me a call, I'm here. Um, and again, it's Italian, and I don't want you to see see you guys eating that stuff out of a can. Make some real <laughs> pasta, will you? All right, <laughs> all right, John. Thank Thanks, John. All right, guys. Thanks for that. Take care. All right, bye. Right, bye, bye for now. Okay, so. Hey guys, uh, that was absolutely awesome to talk to John. That's an, um, a guy I wanted to talk to for quite a while, especially in covering that early's Frelly's Comet period. You know, it's exciting. You know, Todd and John back together with AJ and uh, Patrick James. I think that's going to be some exciting music. And for anyone who's ever bashed Second Siding for being too Todd, um, John did say heavy. Yeah, I'd say um, if you guys, you know, so some people like to wait till the album comes out. If uh, if you want to get a little taste, just go to Google and type in Todd Howard's Go By Fate SoundCloud. And like the first link would be a sample of the first six songs. Yep. And one of the samples is a clip of the, the re-recorded version of It's Over Now. Um, I mean, I think you guys, if you're into the rock music, if you love Trouble Walking, um, you're going to like this album. Yeah, and, and Todd's put out a lot of music over the years. You know, going back to the '97 album that I mentioned, uh, California Burning, I can't uh, Cobalt Blue, or, Cobalt yeah, Cobalt Parlor, and then he did a couple other albums as well. You know, great songwriter, and you know, I look forward to the opportunity, hopefully, to talk to Todd, because you know, when we get to have a conversation about Frehley's Comet, Cheap Trick, 707. Uh, yeah. You know, Boardwalk Records and on Todd's history, you know, that's uh, as equally interesting as John Regan's. So, you know, that's covered a full gamut today, which has been really exciting. So, John, once again, thank you very much. Alex, you know, here's the shout out to you for organizing this. This, oh. is, this is Alex's baby. So, <laughs> you, you know, while I may have talked too much again, I, I do apologize. I can't help myself. Not a, no, I I was just shocked and, uh, and honored that he wanted to come on and do this. Um and it's more than happy to do it. And thank you, Julian, for allowing us to use this uh, the Kiss FAQ podcast to help facilitate this. And Jay, thanks so much for being willing to come on. I appreciate you being willing. Oh, well, I appreciate it. I'm sorry I didn't have more to contribute, but John was just awing me with all of this, these great backstories that, honestly, uh, he answered more questions than I could have ever come up with on my own. So, oh, I have to say also- that. I have to apologize to anybody watching. If you see my goofy fanboy face going on the whole time <laughs> uh, the past hour and a half i'm still on cloud nine and i've only been drinking water here i don't know what you guys got over there but i think uh, i think julian's becoming the 
the resident alcoholic in, amongst this uh, this clan. He's always got the fresh cold beer, and I've always got soda. I, I, I need to step it up and bring some whiskey or something. It, it's it's the once a week thing when I come in from the gym. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right on, right on. All right, guys, let's wrap up episode nine. Um, you know, everyone out there, thank you for listening. Thank you for giving us um, your time each week. You know, we're getting a lot of good feedback about the show, so we do appreciate um, you know. You you taking the time to listen and also offering us your services because there's a lot of people out there who want to come on the show and you know if we think you're suitable we'll put you on so Alex Jay until next time thank you very much. Hey.